Hello, and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Tools and Tips series. Hello, and welcome to Codish. I'm Vikram Rana. I run our product marketing and developer advocacy teams here at Heroku, and I'm delighted today to be able to chat with Charlie Gleason, who is our head of our marketing design. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit more? Yeah. Um, eager listeners may remember me from um, such podcasts as uh, how we do documentation at Heroku. And um, he, I'm here today to chat a little bit about how we do design at Heroku. Um, so my background, I originally studied design when I was a lot younger and then went back into computer science for a little while. Um, and uh, yeah, my focus has always been on that kind of space between uh, computer science and design and how those how that Venn diagram kind of overlaps. That's amazing. And it sounds like you have a few other really interesting adjacent interests like generative art, open source, and music videos. Those all sound uh, deeply intriguing. Are, are any of those sort of related in the way of how you think about design? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was a very unsuccessful musician who had no money. And so I was always really interested in using design to solve problems. And I think that's a really interesting space. And I suppose that's probably what drew me to Heroku initially. So when I was um, studying design, I uh, had to hassle people to help me make things, because ultimately, I couldn't do it by myself. And uh, other people are busy and have lives and don't necessarily want to spend all their time building things that I had drew. <laughs> so I uh, got really interested in web development and then started uh, making stuff on Heroku, deploying stuff on Heroku. And so it's quite surreal that I've ended up part of the team and to look after design and, and brand. It's amazing. It's, it's quite surreal. Yeah, it's interesting. When you first came to Roku, you were, I think, uh, working for an agency and then a, a publishing startup and things of that nature. So can you tell us a little bit more about that evolution of how you went from like maybe those types of environments to Heroku? Yeah, so originally when I came out of university studying a design in Australia, the everyone went to ad agencies. That was kind of what you did after you uh, after you finished. Uh, I learned a lot about how to design to a brief, how to be fast as well, because advertising is very fast-paced and very um, kind of intensely intensely laser focused on a project and when that project is done it's done forever and and it just kind of you move on to the next thing so it's a very different style of working to what I'm used to now and then uh, from there I went into startups because I thought uh, I would save the world and solve all the problems (laughs) um, (laughs) so uh, a couple of friends and I co-founded a startup called Good Films which was uh, trying to bring some of the kind of social to films or watching films or recommending films with your friends and uh it was an amazing experience and and then through that i met um a bunch of people and got uh moved to london and then started working for a publishing startup a a crowdfunding publishing startup called unbound uh and i was there for about uh four or five years which is um a long time in tech (laughs) (laughs) and um yeah it was kind of i feel like all of the all of the paths i've taken have somehow led me here. And I, I don't know if it's necessarily been the most straightforward career path, because I think that um, the side of advertising I worked in was maybe less technical than where I've ended up. But uh, I don't know, it's all worked out for the best, I think. <laughs> no, it's really interesting to hear how you've followed your interests. 
Uh, have there been mentors along that that journey for you that have really inspired you on this path? Yeah, I think very early on when I when I came out of university, I um I wanted to go traveling, um, and so I went overseas uh, and realized very quickly that I'm not super comfortable with like real backpacking hostel style travel. <laughs> so, I, uh, so I decided to try and get a job in London where I now live. All roads lead back to London. And um, I started working for someone, um, Scott Sanders, who runs a really amazing agency in Melbourne called The Cut. And uh, I kind of got off the plane. I had no idea what I was doing. I'd been offered this this job as a, um, as a designer at that agency. And uh, he ended up being an incredible, an incredible mentor and an incredible uh, friend. And I often think about, it's really interesting, the people that really influence you in your career aren't always necessarily the people that you think are going to at the time. I just thought, oh, it's like, I'll go to London and I'll, I'll hang out and I'll do a job and I'll travel on the weekends and all that kind of stuff. And then the next thing you know, uh, he had a really profound influence on, um, on the way I approach design and design principles generally. And I think one of the really interesting things in design is that the principles are universal, whether it's, I think one of the interesting things about my job now is that I look after front end development um, for the marketing side of things and also like brand design. So a lot of print, um, but design is, is ultimately a trade at, at its heart. Like there's core principles that uh, are always valuable to know and understand and to follow. And, and to a degree, if you follow them, um, they will always steer you right. So that was, yeah, that was a pretty profound part of my, I don't know, growing up as a designer. No, that's awesome. And, and it's interesting, like, as you said, a lot of the essence of Heroku is design um, in all of our products and experiences. So how, how did you kind of bridge from all of those core design principles to a more technical sort of environment like Heroku? It was really intimidating starting, actually, because it's like being such a fan of Heroku personally and having used it personally, um, I kind of had to unlearn some of my anxiety around joining the team because I think I was so, I almost had it on such a pedestal from a design point of view. And from especially coming up through um, my time at startups, it was like the, it was such a shining light of, of, of how you could make design beautiful for a product that is at its core quite fundamentally technical. Um, and quite complicated, really. I mean, you don't necessarily see that when you uh, when you use Heroku by by design, which is an incredible thing. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely attention to detail. Um, it's the focus that people put into like every single piece of what they make, and it's a real undercurrent of um, of enthusiasm for design as a medium and for the impact that design can have on making people's lives better. Um, especially coming out of a window of time like Web 2.0 when everything felt hard. <laughs> In many ways, things are still you know, evolving quickly and are hard. What, what do you feel is the essence of our kind of design ethos and brand? Because I, I think one of the beautiful things about Heroku is it's very present, but it also gets out of the way very quickly. And so even for us, as we talk about our brand, it's not always easy to put our finger on what it is in our essence. What would you say it is? It's kind of evolving as well. That's the other thing that that was quite intimidating is like putting your mark on something that you that you really like that you've kind of picked up is intimidating. But I think to me, the core is uh, clarity and balance, which are kind of wishy washy concepts. But I think when you apply it across a whole product, it becomes much clearer how that um, 
how that manifests, even if it's not necessarily that easy to verbalize. Yeah, no, it's, and it's really interesting too. Like a lot of what happens is that ethos that we have gets reflected out to our customers. I've seen our customers um, essentially look to our brand and our user experience for inspiration for their brand and user experience. So I, I think it is really, as you say, it's really hard to put your finger on it, but um, it certainly seems very intentional on your part and the rest of the design team. Yeah, I think the attention to detail is definitely the most, and craft is part of that, right? Like even when all the way down to the swag, um, the amount of time and effort and thought that goes into the pieces that we produce all the way across to the entire other side of like on the digital side, how a button looks when it's focused. I mean, there's like every single um, pixel, every single dot is like really considered. And I think that is the ethos of our brand is like really putting that energy and effort into making sure that things are beautiful and functional and that that balance is struck in a way that feels hopefully to the to the end user to our customers feels effortless on their part and that they are kind of a part of it because ultimately they are right design affects people and design um has an influence on people so we want to make sure that the things that we create and the things we put out are a positive a net positive on on the universe uh rather than something that's ever stressful or frustrating or confusing no that's a super interesting point like um, our user success is really our success. So we, we see ourselves in them and, the, and their success. So that's really a great point. And, you know, part of that in your role is, you know, I don't know if this is the right word, like stewarding the brand. Sure. Right? Like keeping us true to that mission because there's a lot of pressures to sway. So I don't know if steward's the right word or how you think about that, but can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think the the best thing... Um... To, well, the core focus to me with stewardship of the Heroku brand is staying true to the roots of it, um, but also always looking forward to how we can improve um, the relationship that we have and our customers have with the brand and how we can take on new influences and new ideas. So I guess it's being, it's, it's trying not to be too um, attached in a way so that you can have some kind of balance and not feel overly kind of uh, either weighed down by the past or afraid of the future. For me personally, I, I use Heroku a lot and I always have. So I think that kind of helps in a lot of ways because um, when you're in a system or in a, in a platform designing for it, like if you're benefiting from that um, platform, then it's very easy to kind of push that through to how the brand reflects the platform or how the brand reflects the product. Um, so yeah, I think stewardship. Also, I have a really great... Um, uh, really great mentors in Heroku. Um, the Heroku design team are incredible. My manager is incredible. So that helps a ton with having people that you can reach out to and um, have conversations with. And, you know, because work, design is, it's always evolving. It's always changing. You don't always have the right answer straight away, right? Sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes it's it just doesn't come to you or something feels harder than it should be. And that can be um, frustrating or feel dispiriting. So I think having people around you, a team around you that you can reach out to or like if you're having a day where you're just not, nothing's kind of aligning, that you have other people that you can kind of draw inspiration from or get direction from is really important as well. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I, you and I collaborate on a ton of things, obviously, and uh, I hope that's as rewarding for you as it is for me. I certainly take a lot away from that. I hope you you get yeah. something out of no, it. No, you're too. the best. You're the best. Don't, never doubt that. Okay. <laughs> Well, you know, thinking about that, like from a, a humility and empathy standpoint and, and the point you just made about like breaking through the solutions to really these difficult design challenges and, and brand challenges, 
Can you talk about how you collaborate across all the different pieces of Roku from like product and engineering to marketing to sales? Like I think you pretty much touch every part of Roku. So like maybe you could talk about that a little bit. I think, well, our relationship is actually a good, a good example for that because I think you're incredible at, at what you do in a way that could be quite intimidating, but I feel like your communication is always, um, you always feel like you're on the same level. And I think that is that humility and like empathy exists across Heroku. Like it doesn't feel hierarchical, even though I have a manager and people have managers and managers and, and all that kind of stuff. Everyone, I feel there's no one that I feel like I couldn't reach out to. Um, so to me, collaboration across teams is a cultural thing as much as it is, um, you know, how we, how we approach something like design. Two things that we try and do to kind of keep that alive, along with uh, Heroku is like a massively remote, I'm remote, I'm based in London, um, a massively remote um, uh, organization. So there's a lot of uh, processes that we put in place to make sure that everyone feels heard and that uh, remote workers and employees um, who are also like locally engaged also have the same kind of voice and that there's collaboration and um, teamwork always. But the two things that we try and focus on from a design point of view are always creating tools that people can use, so self-service, so that people feel empowered to get what they need without that being too intimidating or without design feeling like it's a gated um, thing that you have to kind of be nervous about approaching or, you know, and um, and also education. So making sure that people understand the Heroku brand internally and what our ethos is. And we also put out a lot of external stuff like brand.heroku.com, um, design.heroku.com uh, that kind of talks about how our teams work and what... Um, what our brand is and how we collaborate. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the, you know, really interesting things about what you do is like giving us a common language for design and, and you know, in all our engagements with developers, whether it be on our website or in our product. I, I know there's a, a product design team that you're very tight with. You know, that norming of our design principles across all those teams is a, is a challenge. But what are some of the other challenges that you deal with when it comes to design? It's quite a big surface area. I think in terms of my role, especially uh, because it covers like print design, branding, front end development, back end development at times. Uh, it's it's like a there's there's a lot of surface area. So I think staying up to date is always challenging, and deciding what is important to um, like what uh, trends, especially around front end development, are important to implement, and what uh, is better to maybe stay on the safer side of. I think uh, finding inspiration and kind of getting to the, the crux of the, the message or the meaning of what you're trying to convey is really important. And I think especially when you're representing a brand and a brand that is, you know, as beloved as Roku, kind of finding inspiration and, and feeling confident to push yourself and to push the brand forward. I think tools are also changing a lot. So we, we tend to be pretty... Um, pretty open to trying new tools, especially on the design side. And I think that's uh, net positive, really, because it kind of pushes you to, to try new things and to challenge yourself um, rather than being too um, wedded to one particular way of doing things. And I think a lot of the way that we approach digital design, especially um, the tools have shifted a lot and the kind of uh, monolithic organizations that created those tools have kind of given way to a mix of smaller startups or like, uh, different tools that allow you to do different things in a way that didn't necessarily exist um, 10 years ago. So I think that's really exciting because that kind of challenge across, you know, for, for space really pushes innovation and it means there's a lot of incredible tools coming out. 
that always so it comes with like trying not to jump on bad wagons and then i think always you know design is is personal um so i think being sure that you are hearing people when they have criticism is really important and not taking opinions personally like understanding that there are a lot of people and a lot of teams that have a lot of goals and those goals weren't always 100% aligned so it kind of comes back to that humility and empathy um, when you communicate with with other teams with other people and other designers inside and outside of work you think about where design is headed and where fun and development's headed and where development in general is headed all these things are moving at like light speed so you can, mm. can you like dig into a little bit of that like wh- where where are the things that you said don't jump on all the bandwagons just the right ones which are some of the right ones in your opinion how do you find them how do you sort of like know when you're wrong and move on to something else, um, both whether it be design. And, and I know less about design, but like web, front-end development. Yeah, definitely. I think the tooling has, um, you know, it, it is, there's like so many opportunities at the moment. And I think um, like the meteoric rise of React, for example, personally, I use React a lot. We don't use React in our um, much of our front-end. Um, so uh, a lot of the front end of Heroku is built with Ember. So we have a team that really gets Ember and, and are really deep in that. So I think um, understanding where your teams are at and making sure that you make decisions that work best for the team is really important. We do a lot of proof of concepts. Um, so Alistair Monk, who is an incredible um, designer on the Heroku team and an incredible human being generally, uh, he has a ton of really great small proof of concepts that we can try and we see how they go in kind of controlled circumstances and then if that becomes a part of our tool chain then that makes sense and if it doesn't it doesn't so i think a big part of that is knowing when to sunset something or knowing when you when you've tried a new front-end tool just because time has gone into developing that and using it doesn't mean that you're totally wedded to it and being able to walk away from things or giving yourself kind of a, a trap door to try uh different approaches is really important in creating kind of a space where experimentation doesn't feel risky or dangerous if that makes sense that makes total sense and like you know for the front end world and especially the javascript world that's always moving and you said the development community has walked away from so many things right like sure yeah 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 which isn't a bad thing you know i mean it's it's kind of interesting i think that i jspm was one of my favorite projects um but i people have largely chosen Webpack, right? And I still have super fond memories of, of like the JSPM community and working with those people from, you know, and talking to people and getting excited about what that project meant because um, that was kind of a package, the package manager for JavaScript in my mind prior to Webpack. They may have come out around the same time, but certainly my experiences were with JSPM. And I think that people take those learnings and they they apply them to new projects or they continue to develop that for, for a subset of their community. There's a lot of kind of room, I suppose, um, at the moment for experimentation and for trying new things. And um, I think that's really important not to get too many uh, kind of monolithic tools, like allowing space for people to experiment on the front end and to, to try new things. And I think that's something that we try and do internally as well. Not to beat the dead horse on this topic, but it's really interesting. I mean, like, the website makes sense. I have less visibility into the tooling for the design side, all the amazing things that you do. Like, you know, we're working on a prototype now for our new pricing page and you're, you introduced whimsical. What, what are some of the inspirational tools or new things you're finding on more of the classic design side? Like, you know, to me, design tools means like Adobe, right? Like illustrator or something like that. 
Sure, yeah. And um yeah, I kind of touched on that with like I love that there's this this real um push for new tools and for people trying new things and you see some of those um learnings and experiments also uh implemented in in the Adobe suite. So it's like everyone comes up together in a way, which I think is really great. Um uh Whimsical is a really great uh wireframing tool we've been using a lot internally. Um uh I've recently personally been using Figma for collaboration, which is an incredible um design tool that feels really uh it's like incredibly fast i think it's built on uh wasm which i was talking to a friend about this the other day and he was like i have to dig more into the tooling that actually built that app but it's amazing um sketch we use a lot internally and then yeah for for print stuff um a lot of the adobe suite i just love that there's kind of competition and, and innovation happening across all of these different things. And you see that with uh, like Figma recently introduced plugins. And now there's this whole new suite of people pushing out really incredible tooling and trying experimental things within a design application that hasn't necessarily been a part of a design application like that in the past, in my experience. No, that's, that's fantastic. And like both sides of this coin, right? Or traditionally these, this value chain around design and front end web and then back end develop, like when I was a developer, like, Hey, there was a designer way over here, and then there was like a JavaScript guy or a gal in a front end sort of role, and then we'd have some sort of like API contract back in the day. It was like jQuery or whatever, or even before that, like uh, Ria. Like, so this tells you how far back it was for me. But you know, and and yours, <laughs> yeah. I think you almost have a foot in every world except for maybe hardcore back end development. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, if you're a designer, a young designer day, and, and and she or he is looking to kind of be successful in this new world like how much like core design how much web front-end development how much javascript like what's what's the designer of today and more importantly even the future look like yeah that's a good hard question <laughs> i think from a from a design point of view um those core fundamentals will always steer you right good typography um an understanding of of negative and positive space of grid systems i mean those pieces will always be valuable regardless of the medium. Um, but I think uh, for front-end development, um, if you're designing for the web or for digital, um, for apps, for things like that, having an understanding of the, you don't need to be able to sit down and be like, I'm gonna now go and build this thing. At this point, I think there's so much coming in now must be incredibly intimidating because there's so many options. It's like, that would be very overwhelming. Whereas when I started out, it was like, well, you either did Adobe Flash or you did like HTML pages and there just wasn't that much. So you kind of had an opportunity to grow over time with this with this kind of ocean of, um, of change. And I think that ultimately um, now having a core understanding of how your design is going to work is incredibly important and, and almost more valuable um, especially when you're starting out and being able to build these things, right? You know, so for example, there are certain things in CSS that are very easy to do. And there are certain things in CSS that uh, should it'll feel like they should be really easy, but are like ludicrously challenging. <laughs> and I think um, in terms of being a designer that um, working, with, working with a team, especially on the digital front, when you can see those issues coming up um, as you're working, then you can kind of step around them. And from a development point of view, I mean, Adam Wathan, 
who created um, Tailwind uh, CSS, which I really love. And he also worked, uh, he wrote uh, Refactoring UI. He talks a lot about this being a developer who wanted to better understand design. And then by starting to learn some like core design principles, it was, it was easier for him to see moments where he could um, kind of quickly and simply make things better without having to feel like, oh, I'm a developer, so I can't do that. So I think that humility and empathy that I talked about across teams also really applies to the way that um, designers, developers, and everyone in between kind of collaborates and works together. One of the things that I, I'm kind of curious about too is as you think about these new trends in design, you mentioned generative art earlier, like and now GANs are like a fun thing that developers are playing with, like, hey, can you spot if this is a real cat or a real human face? Do you see that sort of thing sort of starting to intrude in design? Like, can GANs and things like that generate useful inspiration or actual pieces for design? Or where's that headed? I mean, I think there's some there's some really incredible stuff that's happening. Um, Airbnbs, uh, like internal labs, did some Airbnb.design, I believe it's the site for that. They've got some incredible examples of um, uh, using machine learning to help um, with design concepts and help with, with layouts and kind of understanding what you're trying to achieve um, really quickly and easily. Um, I think in generative art, and especially I know I've talked about them in previous podcasts, but like Glitch are doing really cool stuff in um, these kind of small vignettes on the web that are really easy to um, kind of hook tools together and, and create new things or to create uh, generative pieces of art or generative kind of um, output in a way that I think is super exciting. Um, and I just think that space also kind of opens itself up to experimentation. Something There's something very like playful about it. It's very experimental and, and it feels very exciting. I don't know that, that whether or not these tools will end up evolving into something that we use day to day, like what, what the future is for machine learning and design, I'm not so confident on. But I do think that the experimentation and exploration is a super exciting space. And, um, you know, I think uh, I'm, I'm super keen to see where it all goes, really. Um, yeah, I think the future is going to be really hard to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, your, your guess is as good as mine. It, it, it's, it certainly will um, bear watching. And that aside, like you said, those core principles that you cherish about design are really where it sounds like designers should think about. If you had some sort of like parting thoughts around this, like how do you sort of like capture this gestalt? What, what would you say to folks in terms of style, process, inspiration? Yeah, sure. I think um, I kind of briefly set up, I think finding finding your own style, finding what inspires and excites you is really great. And I think there's a lot of um, uh, opportunities out there now to kind of find inspiration, especially stuff like Dribble and um, Behance and, and, you know, sites that really uh, have incredible designers on them that are pushing out uh, incredible work really consistently. Um, and that can be a great place to find the kind of stuff that resonates with you. And I think also if you're starting out trying to recreate things that resonate with you are a good way to learn kind of patterns in design or like what seems to match. So that's a good way to kind of get started. I think um, looking for inspiration and I also like meaning I think at the moment we're at a real crossroads in terms of our relationship um, with, let's say, like uh, climate change and with um, how much we use of the world and, what, and our relationship with like what our tools are doing to the spaces around us. So I think finding moral um, and finding meaning in, in the work that you're doing that resonates with you or that feels um, kind of in line with your 
worldview and what you want to achieve uh, feels really important in a way that I haven't noticed as much prior to now. So um, Kai Brash, who's a Australian, he used to create um, off-screen uh, uh, magazine, which is a really great magazine, which actually I think is coming out again soon. He, he talks a lot about this. So if that's something that you're interested in, you should definitely check out his work. Um, and also, you know, design doesn't doesn't happen by a committee like it's you know everyone has an opinion they're different um so being true true to yourself and to the values that you have and and the things that you're inspired by um i think is really important and and in a lot of ways is is almost the most valuable thing the hardest thing i think for any of us in these corporate lives that we lead is you know bringing our whole selves to work you know to pardon the old cliche right like it's kind of trite these days to say that, but um, whoever came up with that, I thought it was a brilliant idea. But like digging into that a little bit deeper, right? Like you you clearly have found a way to bring Charlie, right? Like in a very unique way. So how, how do you kind of keep that sort of always with you, right? How do you stay that authentic version of yourself? It can be challenging, I think, <laughs> because I think um, finding, finding the, you know, the parts of you that are the most kind of core to to your internal value system to your moral compass um and then feeling comfortable expressing them i think it's like that's like a life's work right it's like bringing your whole self to work i think is an incredible movement and i think uh it's an incredibly powerful message to send out especially to young people who are joining the workforce um but i think it's always striking a balance between uh trying to push yourself to to understand where other people are coming from, like having that, again, humility and empathy for other people and how they relate to the world around you. And also to understand what are your kind of core inalienable beliefs. Um, that's the most important thing is striking a balance and, and, and trying to view the world with empathy. The, the interesting thing about all of that too is that, you know, the world of the future doesn't look like the world of the past, right? Like we just had a, a blog on our article from our... Um, amazing GM, Margaret, on Pride and what it means at Heroku and so forth. You know, how how is that notion of diversity and where not only design is headed, but the people who do design, like, what's that going to mean uh, for us in this field? Do you have any parting thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, well, the value of diversity is undebatable. It is uh, the best possible way to get the best possible work is to have a diverse team with diverse voices and to create space for people to be um, themselves and be true to themselves. And I think also design certainly is going through um, a kind of a period of self-reflection around, uh, like I said, around the environment, around privacy, around security, around diversity. And those conversations are so important and it's so uh great just to see that happening right to see that people are pushing back against the status quo and feeling like they can create communities that um understand them and that value them and push for new unique interesting amazing voices to be heard so i think regardless of industry i know i mean I, i've seen it a lot in design and i th i think um that's probably what i can speak to but i think uh Globally, that's hopefully a movement that will just continue to grow. I think that's a great way to, to put an end cap on this because your voice has been an amazing, diverse voice for me personally. Like you brought a, oh. a lot of great energy and um, infectious enthusiasm to the team. So thank you for that. Um, anytime I get to work with you, it's, it's definitely one of the highlights of my day. So 
Um, oh, mate, thank you. Oh, right back at you. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much. And uh, it's been lovely talking to you. You too. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.